Welcome to the John Nuzzo Leadership Podcast. Welcome to this month's podcast. I want to take you right into a staff teaching that I did back in October. It's, it's a teaching to help you truly experience God's presence in your life as a leader. And more importantly, the context for it is how easily we can lose that. And it's probably, as I look back over the many, many times I've taught our staff, perhaps one of the most impactful things I've taught. And so I'm going to take you right into the part one of that message this month. I hope it blesses you, and I hope it helps you to maintain an intimacy with God that that really is what our, our whole walk with God is about. And so again, my prayer is that this really, really does bless you and help you. Good morning, everybody. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about a, a desire that I know God has across every part of our, our church in its actual experience when people come here is for people to actually experience God's manifest presence. And I want to talk to you about how that happens in a church. And, uh, but there's a difference between the omniscience of God, that he's omnipresent, and his manifest presence. Uh, if I were to tell you right now that, uh, uh, for example, if I said, uh, Pastor Chris, stand up, if you would please. Now, he's been here all along. His presence has been in the room, but now it's manifest. That's what I mean by that. Thank you. That's the manifest presence of God. When the omniscience, God's omniscience, his omniscient presence is everywhere at at all times. But there's a difference between the omniscience of God and his manifest presence. And what I want to just to talk to you about today is I want and forget about church staff stuff. Okay. I want to pastor you. I I want you to understand that when I say I'm believing for God's manifest presence to be in the corners of every corner of the ministry here, I mean, first and foremost, in our lives. You cannot have in a ministry what what isn't in your daily or personal life. And so I want to help you to understand how to walk in the presence of God because it's so easily misunderstood. So often people think God's presence is the absence of problems the absence of things in front of you that don't make sense, that has nothing to do with the presence of God, nothing. And I think that illusion for people often has kept them out of truly yielding to God's presence in their everyday life. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us this, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, particularly the gift of prophecy. Now, the simple gift of prophecy is just speaking to people by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to exhort and to encourage and to comfort. The simple gift of prophecy is not a, uh, if you will, a, uh, uh, a foretelling or a future. It's simply to speak to exhortation, encouragement, and comfort. And what I find very often is that people don't understand that when you desire spiritual things, you don't do it by following after spiritual things. You do it by following after love. Living in the reality of God's love is an open door to experiencing the manifest presence of God in our everyday life. Don't eagerly desire love and follow spiritual gifts. Do it the other way around. Knowing and experiencing and living in the love of God is the sign of maturity, not spiritual manifestations in your life. One of the most, and I've been, I've been doing this a very long time and pastoring here 26 years and over 35 years in ministry. 
And I can tell you one thing I've seen of people who hunger for spiritual gifts, who do not put love first. They become self-centered. They become judgmental. They become full of pride. And they become better than people. And it is the exact opposite of the heart and nature of Jesus. And I can't tell you how many times, and I don't mean once or twice, and, I, and I'm not just talking here, but over and over and over and over and over again, where I've watched people who hunger for the manifestations of God's spirit, but they don't love God's people. That they're more, they're more, they're more desirous of a personal experience. Somehow God became kind of like Disneyland to them. And so often, even when people come here, they'll say to me, well, I, 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 I want God to do this in church for me. And I understand anyone. Some, now, that doesn't make them bad. It just makes them immature and ignorant. When people simply come to a place where a body is gathered and they want it to be simply focused on them, it tells me they don't care about people. Now, you can be in difficulty in your life and be self-focused uh, because of the difficulty. I understand that. But I'm not talking about a moment talking about a lifestyle. Some of the most judgmental people I know on the planet actually think they're the most spiritual. And they desire God to move and they want the spirit of this prophecy and this to occur. And it's wonderful. I desire spiritual gifts. I long for them. But you follow after love, not spiritual gifts. If you're going to have the manifest presence of God in your everyday life, I want to talk to you about how to follow after love. Because you're going to have every opportunity in the world to be sidetracked from it. And when people replace loving people with getting something from God, they've turned God into nothing more than an amusement park. They've turned God nothing into more than a source to pay your bills or to make your problems go away. I want you to understand this, that you were not put on this earth to solve the problems in your everyday life. You were not put on this earth to simply get through life and figure out the way to the end. You were put on this earth to join the heart of Jesus in expanding his kingdom in the earth. And when you do that first, you love people. When the kingdom of God is not first in, in the way I perceive my everyday life, it tells me my love for people is diminished. That's why Jesus said, when you put the kingdom first, he adds the things to you. There's nothing wrong with the things. God said, I, I know the things you need. They're not unimportant to God. Billions of people on the planet, and God knows the intimacy of every heart and every pain, of every sorrow, in even the numbers of the hairs on your head, he said. He's numbered. Imagine God so intimately loving human beings that there's six billion of us, and he knows the number of the hairs on our head. And I don't know how many of our hairs fall out a day. For some of us, not that many. I'm so, I said that out loud. I'm sorry, but I know mine are falling out, and... But so he, he, imagine, that's a count that has to occur every, third, I mean, seconds, after millisecond, because they're always falling out. And he knows the number of the hairs on your head. So please don't hear me say that God isn't concerned about my life. He is. But God doesn't call me to make my concern about my life foremost. He calls me to love like he loves. And what I want to help you to understand that you cannot experience God's presence outside of believing his love for you and then experiencing and walking in that love toward other people. Let me take you to 1 John chapter 4. There's some things I really want to share with you today that I want to be very direct with you because I want you to live the life you were called to live. 
First John 4, 7, John, who was called the apostle of love, said this, Beloved, let us love one another. Now, let me stop. If loving each other and loving was an option or it was, if I should say, if it was automatic, we wouldn't be told to do it. This is not automatic because you're a Christian, because you go to a church, because you read your Bible. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone, everyone, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Say out loud, born of God. God. Now say no God. Listen to what he said in verse eight. But he who does not love does not know God for God is love. I want you to notice he didn't say that he that does not love is not born of God. He said, if you are born of God, there are two things that, you'll, that will be, could be active in your life. He, will, he said, everyone that loves, two things happens. If, you're, if you love with God's love, you actually, you actually are showing you're born of God because you're loving with his kind of love. And then he said, you actually are experiencing the fact that you in, have an intimacy with God. Intimacy is what God desires for me in my life with him. You can, well, I have a lot of spiritual disciplines. That's wonderful. But if you don't have love, you have nothing. If your spiritual disciplines are not to magnify his love for you and his love through you, then your spiritual disciplines become a work of the flesh. They become a work of the law. And actually, people with great spiritual disciplines often become judgmental because they're more spiritual than other people. We don't measure ourselves against ourselves. We don't compare ourselves with one another. Good and bad. Remember, if there's somebody worse than you, then you have to believe somebody's better than you. If you believe somebody's better than you, then you believe there's someone worse than you. There is no one better than you, and there's no one worse than you. There's only one type of human being, one that is loved of God, and then the kind that know it and experience it and those that don't. And what I want, I want to help you to see is that he said, when you don't Live the love life. You don't have an intimate relationship with God. Yeah, but I, I, you know, I pray. I go to church. I'm trying to do my best. I'm a good this. I'm a good that. I try. I'm, I'm not perfect, but you don't know God by what you do. You don't know God by what you do for him. You don't know God by the miracles that you see or that God may do through you. There was a whole generation in the Old Testament given for our example that saw more miracles than any of us will ever see in our life. And yet none of them knew God. Out of an entire generation of two to three million adults, every one of them died except two people. Because two people trusted him because they believed he was good. The rest of them did not. And we think of those people as evil people, and they weren't. Now, some of them were were boneheads because of two billion people. You're going to have some boneheads. But can I tell you, there were some sweet old ladies that died. People that you would have said are the best people in the world, but they died and their bones rotted in a desert. You do not know God if you don't know love and you can't have the manifest presence of God in the absence of those two things. Knowing his love for you and letting that love pass through you to people. And I promise you, if you're going to do ministry or life, you're going to have every opportunity to live outside of the realm of the love of God. And I'm going to talk to you very, very directly how it happens. So you have to decide, am I going to just be a Christian that's going to go to heaven born of God? Or am I going to be one that is intimate with God? That what breaks his heart actually does break mine. 
not a song, but really it does. That what he longs to see happen, I long to see. The more intimate you become with somebody, their needs, their wants, their desires, their heart, what hurts them, it hurts you. I have neighbors all around me, and I'm sure there's so much pain in their lives, but I don't know their pain. I don't know them. I, in fact, most of my neighbors, because I, my neighborhood's a little spread out, and people just come home, go in the garage, and the door close. I don't know them. I'd see them in a store. I wouldn't know my, my next-door neighbor. But I know the people in my house, and everything they experience, I experience with them because I love them. First John 3, 9, he went on to say, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, now listen now, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the perpetuation or sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, now listen, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You cannot love people. You cannot love people until you have an absolute heart-drenching understanding that God loved you enough to die for you. It's so easy to lose that in, in, in the things of life. So easy to forget and, be, and, and stop being thankful and grateful to God and to people. This is love, not that we love God, but that we found out that he loved us. And if we find that out, he said, what is it that you should love one another? Then he takes us down in in the 16th verse of chapter 4, and he says this. We know and rely on the love God has for us. Rely on is mean depending upon its faith. We know and can have faith on the love God has for us. Galatians tells us this. Circumcision avails nothing nor uncircumcision, but a faith which works by love. That's an act of the, of the law that you would be, in a sense, a mark of righteousness under the law, circumcision. He said, externals mean nothing, but the ability to walk in faith based on God's love. That is the, that's the encapsulation of walking with God. So we have known and come to rely on this love God has for us, for God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. That's a definition of his manifest presence. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. And most people don't, even Christians. Because in this world, we are like him. One translation says, as he is, so are we in this world. Listen to verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and it brings torment. The one who fears, now listen to this, is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet he hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must love his brother. It sounds like a demand to go do something, but he's saying when you've been so, when you understand the mercy and kindness that God's given you and you've believed the love of God for yourself, it will be natural for you to in turn give that to people. 
And he said, and when that kind of love has captured your heart, fear will not. Perfect love drives out fear. And what I want you to understand that the fear or the absence of believing God's love will do a few things in your life. And that's what I want to talk to you about. First, it will cause you to deny the faithfulness of God in your life. When, you, you say, how, when fear is gripping my soul, it's a, a voice that says he doesn't love you. You can't trust him. This is what you put your trust in and fear governs your life. The manifest presence of God is walking in the love of God to where it so permeates the way you see how God loves you that you begin to, to, to care for others in the same way. It will cause you to project God's absence in your tomorrows. You'll begin to make human beings responsible for your tomorrow. You'll begin to make yourself responsible for your tomorrow. Fear will cause you to project the absence of God in your tomorrows. When I was with John Maxwell, he made a statement. He said, because I was talking to him about transitioning. When I, when I go do the next thing I'm supposed to do. He said, he said, John, when what you long for is behind you rather than what is in front of you, you've stopped trusting God and your heart has stopped growing. Whenever you feel the need to have to look backwards and you long for back there instead of the faithfulness of God out there, he said, then mark it down, you've stopped growing and you've stopped trusting God in your life. And you'll stop experiencing God in your life. The absence of the love of God brings fear, which brings torment. And there are two things that it does that are so subtle that I want to talk to you about in, in the remaining time we have. It makes you unthankful. Both first to God, both in word and deed. When you cease to believe the love of God and you stop living God's love toward people, I'll be very practical here in a minute. It makes you unthankful to God. Not just in, in, in what you do for God, but what you say about him. The words that come out of my mouth. Secondly, it makes you unthankful to people. It thinks you, makes you unthankful to the people in your life. Not just in deed, but in word. If you want to find out the depths of the love of God that you believe, just talk, watch how you talk about people. The words, not, not the religion, not I love Jesus in a song service. How do you talk about people? People that have been good to you and people that haven't. <clears throat> people that you perceive have not been good to you, but you might be wrong. Our perceptions are so skewed. And, you, and what you say out of your mouth toward people that are, that are not even good to you will determine what, what you know about the love of God. And when the words of my mouth do not align with God's love, when the words of my mouth say that I don't trust you, I, but I'm going to let someone else govern my life, it's critical. In the absence of thankfulness, is bitterness, and there is no option in your life. Listen to me, please. 
in the absence of thankfulness will be bitterness. And bitterness gives you someone to blame. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's their fault. And ultimately, you'll make it your fault. And bitterness is a root that will spring up and defile many. It is the opposite of the manifest presence of God. Now, here's what I can tell you about life and ministry. You will have more invitations and opportunities to speak against people, even if, even if it's true. And there will be people that will do you so wrong. You can't even, dis, you can't put words to it. And you can make those people the Lord of your life. And you can begin to, in your heart, wish them ill or certainly not wish them well. Because somehow you want some type of equity in this life. Love doesn't ask for equity. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't demand payment from another. If God... If God so loved that he, t- he became the propitiation for my sin. He didn't demand payment from me. He made the payment for me. When you understand we that have received mercy beyond mercy, a debt forgiven worth billions of dollars, and then we turn around and a, and a $5 debt causes us to put our hand on someone's throat. And I don't, I don't, I'm just, I'm not talking about naturally. I'm talking about the way you think of a person, your attitude toward people, the words you speak. Thanklessness is the absence of the presence of God. Thanklessness is the decision to ultimately live in bitterness. You can do things for people for 10, 15, 20 years, but unthankful people not just for men, but for God, will we'll say, what have you done for me now? And they're thankless. And it doesn't matter what God does for them. And it doesn't matter what he provides. They'll live in that misery for the rest of their life. And I'm not talking to you about a theory. I'm talking to you about the opportunity that you will have to either live in the presence of God or out of it. People you, you'll have done your best for. No one's perfect, and you're not going to be perfect to people. Isn't it funny how we, we're not perfect, but we sometimes demand it of other people. But when you know the love of God, you, you get bathed in mercy. You look at people that, and you begin to, instead of saying, what did they do to me? I ask the question, what's happening for them? Because what did God, what did God think of me in my, in my darkness? What does God think of me? where I, I am, I'm in the dark or I'm doing wrong. Is he wanting me just to run the course of that and suffer and hurt? Or is he wanting me to come to a place of repentance? That's why Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, the servant of the Lord talking to a pastor has to be patient. Because, and you have to teach and be patient because there are people being, he said, that need that God needs to grant repentance into their life. Because if they don't come to repentance, he said they are taken captive by Satan to do his will. And you care more about the person being taken captive or do you care more about how you think it impacted you? Thank you for joining us for this episode. 
Your reviews expand our reach. So if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please take time to rate and review us. We look forward to having you with us on the next episode of the John Muzo Leadership Podcast.